Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Tuesday, April 10th, 2012. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox. And joining me for some post-holiday lag is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Kevin Ma. Hello, everybody. Uh, hi, Paul. How are you doing? All right. You know, it's uh, we, we just kind of had a, a really long holiday. We had the combination of, of uh, you know, uh, Qingming Festival, the Tomb Sweeping Day, which is the Chinese holiday, and then we had the long weekend because of the Easter holiday, the combination of Good Friday, and then we had Monday off for, for Easter. And one of the things that's great about Hong Kong is we always get the best of both worlds, right? We get a combination of the Western holidays and the and the Chinese holidays um, all packed together. But, you know, going back to work today, I kind of felt like I'd forgotten how to do my job because <laughs> it feels like I've been away too long. I was like, oh, yeah, what, what, what do I do today? Uh, how am I supposed to do this again? Um, it just was, it was kind of weird being away from it so, for so long. But um, that was just yeah, me because I kind of stayed at home and I did nothing. You were out and about, right? You were still uh, sort of on the tail end of the film festival. Yeah, it was the the part. I mean, the festival officially wrapped on Thursday, but uh, I was out and about because it was the part two of the festival where they're showing a lot of the older films and some additional screenings. Um, but, you know, you're right. Uh, actually, in a city like Hong Kong, where, you know, we're living on such a busy and tight schedule, four days of public holidays seemed like a, it seemed like an eternity, didn't it? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it was great, but at the same time, it was like, oh my gosh, it just feels like I've been away forever. Um, but it's nice to be finally back at work and, um, you know, sort of getting back into the groove where we've just sort of passed our reading week. In the, we had our reading week last week, so we're in, going into the tail final quarter uh, of our semester, and for me, that's when things start getting really busy because I get a lot of uh, final assignments coming in and I get stacks and stacks of things that I have to mark. And I'm still trying to catch up on some of the midterm marking as well. But uh, for me, it's kind of like viewing the light at the end of the tunnel because uh, once the semester ends, my workload eases up considerably and I can focus on other things, doing some research or plotting out if I'm going to do further study or you know those kinds of things. Um, but how about you? I mean... What do you have going on uh, in the months to come? Anything? Because now that you're sort of out of the festival, uh, what's next on your agenda? Um, I just finished uh, a freelance translation translation job, and uh, right now I'm waiting to hear from another one. This, uh, this is a pretty big one. I think we talked about this uh, privately last week, but mm. I won't reveal it yet because I haven't. It hasn't been confirmed yet. But there's a pretty big translation job that's coming up. Um, I just finished the 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 catalog for the uh, Hong Kong the La French May Film Festival, so you can catch that. But of course, this Sunday, the biggest thing is Sunday for me is um, the Hong Kong Film Awards. Yeah, yeah. Which means uh, it will be time for my annual uh, live blog. Yeah, you're gonna be live blogging, and um, I'll, I'll likely be following along and uh, tweeting at some point on some of some of my thoughts. Uh, 
on the the film festival. And very shortly after, we should get the Love Hong Kong Film Awards results, right? Yep, yep. Uh, I think I just put in my vote today after uh, a little a little jab from uh, from Mr. Kozo. Yeah. Uh, have you turned in your votes yet? Paul? I, I've turned in my votes, and I you kind of uh, sent your votes to the whole group. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we just supposed to send them in privately? Is that that I did I do that? You did that because I got your Holy. list right here on email. <laughs> <laughs> oh crap! But that's okay. That <laughs> I won't. I won't reveal. But you're gonna have to go after the other jury members, and and, <laughs> and be sure that they they take a vow of silence as well. You know what? I I didn't. I can tell you. I can guarantee. I did not vote thirty three. Dean Vader as my best film of the year. Mm-hmm. So I have nothing to hide. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to hide. Yeah. I voted um, for I Spectable Choices. So we also have uh, the Udine Far East Film Festival coming up soon, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's actually, that's right into the news, isn't it? Yeah. Well, with that, let me uh, play the news bumper then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess before officially we get into the news, let me say a quick uh, shout out to the chat room. We've got a host of regulars in there. We're always happy to see you guys in there. Um, and also, we're going to be covering some films after we get through the news. What films are we going to be covering this week, Kevin? Uh, for East Screen, which is all me this week, uh, I'll be covering the Taiwanese film, The Soul of Bread, uh, starring Michelle Chan. Um, and also, Scud's latest opus uh, of nudity and, and shower and, uh, and hardcore sex, uh, Love Actually Sucks. Uh, meanwhile, Paul, you will be uh, covering for West Screen, Mirror, Mirror. Yes, and uh, Hong Kong Dave in the chat room says, Wrath of the Titans. Uh, I might throw in a little bit of a, of a of a hate mail at the end for Wrath of the Titans. Angry we'll, we'll Paul. See. We'll see. Angry uh, if, Paul. If, if, time, if time permits. Uh, I don't want to be angry, Paul, though. It's, it, we're, I'm in post-holiday <laughs> mood, right? Um, so news. We've got some news stories to talk about this week. Um, as we mentioned, Udine Far East Film Festival coming up. Yep, yep. Actually, um, the... The, the, the press conference for the festival um, just happened a couple hours ago. In fact, uh, I, they they were doing uh, they were announcing a live stream, so I stayed at work about an hour late <laughs> just to watch the live stream along with Kozo to see what's what's in it. Which is actually weird because we already know a good portion of the picks. Um, the opener of the this year will be a uh, Sunny, the Korean film that I recommended as a Blu-ray pick a couple weeks ago. And that's and starting the- this week, I think, in Hong Kong. Yes, yes, it's opening yeah. this Thursday here in Hong Kong. Uh, the festival will open on the 20th of April uh, and on the 28th. So as I was saying earlier, the 20th will open with Sunny um, and it'll close with Dante Lam's The Viral Factor, uh, which, um, well, it's a good choice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the festival will be screening 57 feature films, um, which includes the 10, 10 film retrospective of uh, Korean films from the 1970s. Um, additionally, it will also be um, uh, showing a, a program of uh, four shorts from this uh, from the last two years uh, of picks from the Hong Kong Fresh Wave uh, Short Film Festival, which, um, full disclosure, actually um, uh, wrote an essay introducing the festival in the in the festival catalog this year. Um, but of course, uh, let's... Well, let's not get to the all the picks, but let's talk about some of the Hong Kong stuff um, that's been picked. Um, also, we should we should mention that Mr. Tim Youngs, who is a friend of the show, is also uh, is actually one of the consultants for the festival, so he helped uh, pick some of these films. Uh, they include um, East Meets West from Jeff Lau, uh, The Great Magician, the Derek E. film, uh, The Bounty, which has never been shown in Hong Kong, is the latest film from um, Punished screenwriter uh, Feng Ji Feng Ji Ke. Um, also, 
let's see. Uh, we have love, both love in the puff and love in the buff uh, from uh, Pan Ho Chen, who is actually very possible. Another uh, frequent guest at the festival is uh, Johnny Toe, who will be showing uh, romancing in thin air there. But um, my my personal favorite uh, that that I'm very glad to be showing at the festival is a uh, 33D Invader from Doctor Cash Chin. Yes, they will be. Um, are any are what? any of these stars going to be in attendance? I hope if, if they are, I'm buying a ticket today. <laughs> <laughs> if I find out if not any of the female stars are going to be the festival, I am buying a ticket to Une tonight. Yeah. But apparently they're not, so I'm staying put in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, but the full actually the, the full list is on the link that um that will be up on the site uh, a little later. Uh, the it's from Bif, the Film Business Asia the Film Business Asia uh, news story. They have the full list actually, which is sooner than the. Than the, than the festival website itself, which has not been updated since the press conference. It was kind of strange. Mm. But uh, lots of interesting picks this year. Uh, we know that uh, Kozo and Tim will, will both be at the festival, but um, have you gotten a chance to look at the list, Paul? Uh, not as yet, not, no. Uh, I'll probably take a look later today, later tonight or tomorrow. Okay. Um, the, the festival is very interesting. It's, it's, you can't say it has a lot of you know, big-time premieres but, or a lot of... Um, Huge high-profile films, but they always pick some of the really interesting stuff that are really coming out of Asia that not um, not the prestigious the prestigious festival won't pick. You know, you know, you got you know movies like uh, Love Is Not Blind or Thirty Three D Invader or you know The Great Magician, which aren't you know high art by any means, but they're both they are they all each have have something to appreciate in their own way in that you know pop culture way. And I think it's uh, more the more interesting. Asian film festivals in in the world, and of course, I'm saying this because I I have been, I participated in it this year, so so it's full again full disclosure there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, lots of good stuff. And if you're in Europe, uh, you're in Italy uh, around that time, uh, April 20th to April 28th. Uh, I would say go to Udine. I mean, there's gonna be a lot of guests, and um, you might get to meet a few people that we we we're friends with, and you guys can talk 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 behind our backs and talk about how much the show sucks. It'll be a great great time. And if you're going to be in the European vicinity, why not just head north and bother, like, uh, the podcast on Fire Guys or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those guys can go down there, go down to Italy, you know, get some sun and eat some gelato and, yeah, in, enjoy. It, it sounds like a fun week. And uh, from what I've heard, it's it's always fun there. So, hmm. uh, Yeah, Kozo, I have it on good authority from Kozo that the pizza is actually good. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. So. I have it on authority that, that <laughs> Chamito was a really cool guy, too. Apparently. Yeah, he went yeah. last year. Yes. Um, all right, so uh, Udine Far East Film Festival. Uh, looking forward to hearing some more news come from them. And uh, hopefully, I think we'll try and get Tim in here uh, on the show maybe before that happens to uh, give some of his insight into this year's picks. Um, so let's move on and talk a little bit about the Hong Kong International Film Festival. As we mentioned before, it's just wrapped up. So, Kevin, thoughts? You were the sort of the... Uh, key man on the ground, as it were, seeing lots of stuff. <laughs> How many films did you end up missing? Uh, because you had over 20 tickets, right? I had 34 tickets. Yeah. Uh, and I think I have at least 10 that went untiered mm. or untorn. Um, but I think in the end, I picked, I, I think I ended up watching over 20 films, which is, you know, over the course of about 20 days. That's not a bad thing. Uh, of course, that's also, I, considering that I also watch, you know, a lot of films outside of the festival, um, you can't really blame me for, you know, not being, wanting to be stuck in line for everything. Um, so, but I, it's the final week and I tried to skip as little, as few movies as possible, which I can't say was 
completely successful, but I can talk about some of the films uh, I watched in the final stretch. Um, I watched the, the Taiwanese Omnibus 10 plus 10, which is quite interesting because it was uh, it's a project that was started by the Golden Horse Film Festival that invited 10 experienced directors and 10 young directors, and each of them directed a, a five-minute short film that apparently celebrated the, 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 the culture of Taiwan. Um, not many of them are great. There are many misses, actually, but there are a few really good ones. And, of course, I'm not going to take time to talk about it. DVD comes out in a couple of weeks from Taiwan, and I would suggest you all to check out just to see what's what's going on in Taiwanese cinema, uh, who are some of the filmmakers making films, and uh, and kind of wonder why Hong Kong filmmakers can't achieve something like this. Mm. Um, also, um, before I talk about the closing film, which was uh, last Thursday, White Deer Plain. Uh, let's see, I would talk about about uh, a very interesting film by Jafar 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 Panahi, which is the uh, Iranian filmmaker um, who who is now imprisoned by the Iranian authorities. Um, he has a six-year prison term and also a twenty-year ban on making films. So while after he learned about his fate and before it was um, the appeal was uh, the the result of the appeal came out, he make this quote-unquote non-film called This Is Not A Film, which is essentially he puts the camera on him, or his friend puts a camera on him, and he, knowing that he can't make films, he kind of go around the rules and start reading out from his latest screenplay, which he can't make because of the band. So the 75-minute film is just about him in his home and and uh, the day in his life uh, where he just takes a camera and talks to people and walking around the home. And because he's uh, right now, he, he, he was under house arrest, so he couldn't leave his apartment building. So uh, it's a very interesting um, non-film. And we have to say this is a non-film because if we say it's a film, he gets in trouble. Hmm. So we have to say it's a non-film. Kind of so, reminds uh, me of the old uh, famous painting by, uh, what was it, Rene Magritte, I think, from the early 20th century. And he did the famous painting called This Is Not a Pipe. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it's, it, it's I mean, he, he did it sort of sort of as a commentary on art and representation and reality. Um, but it's an interesting kind of parallel in, in some, in some mm -hmm. ways. I think there's a very interesting um, thing because you got this, you can almost, you know, put the situation parallel to Chinese filmmakers. I mean, of course, Chinese filmmakers let's just say they don't have 20-year bans and they don't have six-year imprisonment, at least that we know of. So to see this director trying to go against the authorities in a way, um, going against the, the censorship, going against a very strict dictatorship, and, you know, I think Chinese filmmakers and still make something this good um, without, you know, really trying, I think is something that, that Chinese filmmakers can learn from, that you can still make good work, good artistic works in under strict strict um, um, dictatorship uh, governments. Mm. So very interesting thing to, to watch. Um, but of course, now I should talk about the closing film, which is uh, Wan Tran An's uh, White Deer Plain. It's, um, it was based on a very epic novel that's about um, uh, two families that, uh, that rely on wheat farming in uh, Shangxi province. I think it's a very poor peasant uh, village. Um, it's an interesting film because um, it covers, it's this really long epic that covers, I think, at least two decades in the lives of people in this village. Um, I can't say the film is completely successful um, because uh, it kind of jumps back and forth and it doesn't really add up, but there's some really good moments. And it's very interesting because um, on the same day of the screening, we learned that the film was approved to show in China, but under a 20-minute, uh, a version that's 20 minutes shorter than the one that's seen, that has been seen in Berlin and in Hong Kong. 
Um, so was, that was a very rare uh, opportunity to watch the, this film in its so so-called uncut version because the original version is 210 minutes and it was cut by the authorities before it went to Berlin. So yeah. Uh, a very rare opportunity, and it's rare to see a film, a Chinese film with such ambition that ran so long and has this kind of scope. So um, if you have a chance, try and catch this, you know, it's a very special film, even though not completely successful. When you um, say a sentence like that, that, you know, a film with this much ambition, ambition that ran so long, um, I automatically think of Cecilia Chung movies for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> well, actually, I wouldn't agree because let's say, uh, 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 I don't think Cecilia has that much ambition. <laughs> uh, all right uh i do not not agree i think <laughs> <laughs> she has ambitions to make bad movies but uh she 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 has ambitions oh i don't the war i said will get sued so i'm just yeah. gonna stop yeah stop now <laughs> yes <laughs> she'll send lucas after you okay you don't want okay. that nobody wants that um, all right, so a little bit of news about Love and the Buff. We talked about this film last week, uh, doing pretty well in Hong Kong, but not so much in the mainland. Yeah, uh, well, okay. Um, Love and the Buff uh, in Hong Kong, after 12 days, it's already made 22 million Hong Kong dollars. Which that is really good beats, for a Hong Kong film great. these days. It beats all three Lunar New Year movies. It beats The Vow Factor, it beats I Love Hong Kong, it beats Oswald Ends Well. It is now, I think, it may be the top-grossing local film so this year. Wait, what, what is your... What is your insight? Um, if you can, I mean, because I went and I saw it with a local audience, and it was, you know, pretty much a full house, and it was the big house in the in the Kowloon Tong AMC, and you know they all seemed to really enjoy it. They got the jokes. It seemed like a younger crowd. It seemed like a crowd that had already seen the first film, um, so so they knew what they're in for. But what's so special about this particular film, what's making it stand out? Because I mean, even even his older stuff, I don't recall going to to a film that was quite so you know with seeing a Pang Ho Chung film where the the audience was quite so enthusiastic. Yeah, Pang Ho Chung is not really a what you call commercial filmmaker, but um, it's very clear that he did some tweaks in this film uh, to make it more commercial. Um, you know, you have things, you know, the, the audience really understands the, the characters because they say everything is said. It's really easy to understand. There's some really good language-based humor. And, of course, um, you have a lot of fans from the first film who didn't watch the movie in theaters, uh, and they're coming back. Um, and, of course, you, you have the idea of word of mouth where, you know, if you don't watch this movie, you're not hip because everyone has seen it. Everyone's quoting from it, and everyone's talking about the, the video. You know what I mean? Yeah. The music video yeah. and the, 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 the references. So, and and I, this was kind of a, yeah. in terms of rating, this was a step down too, right? It, it was, because the, yes, yes, yes. the first one was a Category 3 because of primarily language and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And this one was toned down to a lower rating. Yes, that's, that's true. Uh, it was toned down, so 2B made it a lot more accessible. Um, and of course, you know, a lot of the under 18, even despite the Category 3 date, they must have seen the first movie somehow. So now they have this opportunity to watch, you know, the sequel. Of course, they all ran, ran there to watch it, uh, to watch it. So I think it's a, it's a multiple, it's a, it's a variety of, you know, factors, you know, including good word of mouth and, and fans of the first film. And I'm not sure if, actually, I'd be interested to know if anyone who watched this film did not watch the first film. I, I know of one person. Um, oh, really? Yeah, my colleague at work went and watched it, and I asked him if he'd seen the first one. He said no. And he said it, he went to the store to get it, and it's sold out. 
<laughs> yeah, the first film actually sold quite well, and it was one of those box office miracle where it opened really badly and actually had really had legs. Now that yeah. uh, I re- I kind of remember it, so so if even the first film had its fans. Yeah. Well, um, apparently the second one, you know, because he he mentioned he went to the video shop to try and find the first one, and he they didn't have it. Um, so this is prompting people to go back and and see the first one if they haven't, or, you know, people to at least go out and get uh, the DVD for their collection. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, and I hope it gets people to watch, you know, earlier Pan Ho Chung Wars, because this is actually Love in the Buff, I thought, was not his best film. Yeah. Um, and now they ask me, I'm not sure what his best film was, because I'm such a big fan. But I can tell you, you should, that Love in the Buff is not his You should, I should, yeah. maybe. Still, uh, still like in my it. mind, his best film. I, I am in a way a fan of Isabella, but I can't say it's his best film. But anyway, uh, but back, but 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 mainland China. Um, actually, this uh, Pang's first you know effort to get into mainland China, um, and there it's done okay. Um, it's done. I think right now at this count, 16, 60 million, 60 million RMB after um, uh, a, a long week, a very long weekend of holidays. Uh, that's the Qingming holidays. Um, but it's going to slow down. Uh, either way, it will do better than a simple life, but it was not going to hit 100 million, which is uh, 100 million is kind of the, the mark of success, uh, especially for a low-budget romantic comedy. So it's it's kind of done below expectations in, in China. And I think, you know, Hong Kong, Hong Kong romantic comedies don't do particularly well in, in China, which is true, but it's a little sad that Pang has made such an effort to kind of hit mainland China, to get into the mainland Chinese market, um, and and it kind of underperforms. I mean, sixty million for a Pang Chun film is great because the first one did only one point five million in China. So this is a significant improvement. But um, apparently, it's still disappointing to some people. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, I mean, I'm I'm glad it's doing so well. It makes me wonder though if the pressure is now on for him to perform. You know, is mm-hmm. he is he going to end up succumbing to Stephen Chow syndrome? where expectation ultimately becomes his undoing as a as an artist i wonder what he's going to do because his next project is going to be a mainland project but at the same time in june he still have bulgaria which is a pure um foul mouth category free comedy made for hong kong so i think he's trying to have it both ways mm. um it's going to be very interesting to see how he balances even he, he permanently lives, lives in beijing now apparently yeah. he's moved bases to beijing but it's interesting that he still comes back to Hong Kong, you know, and spend, you know, two weeks trying to make something like Bulgaria. Um, and we'll see if how the Hong Kong audience received uh, received that film. Well, if the pattern holds true, if Bulgaria is a Category 3, that means Bulgaria 2 will be set in the mainland in the Category 2B, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so one last little bit of news, and this was something that... Uh, got emailed to me from our, our friend of the show, Tim Youngs, um, about a coming, this is right happening in Hong Kong, a coming film critics uh, screening series, right? Um, yep. And uh, what, one of the notable films that they're going to be showing and talking about is Network, one of my all-time uh, favorite films. Um, still very relevant today, and I picked up my tickets already. Um, and what is what is some of the... Do you do you have some of the background on this? What is it? it's like a mini festival? Yeah, actually, this last year um, is something called Critics Choice, where um, I guess a few of Hong Kong's more notable film critics, uh, and I'm talking about you know Chinese language one, of course. They each pick. Um, I wasn't sure if there was a theme last year, but this year the theme is. Do you remember, Paul? This year the theme is. Uh, I have no idea. 
Anyway, last year there wasn't a theme, but it, apparently it was a quite a successful series. Uh, they it's showed it's, it's like shit. something about in films within our time or or something like that. Time, yeah, a, a film that represents an era, yeah. I think. Uh, but last time, the first Critics' Choice did not have a have a so called theme, and essentially was just um, these critics picking, you know, really good classic works they like. But apparently, it was so successful that this year they decided to try, they decided to do it again with a theme, and. Um, some of the films include, uh, you know, Network, as you were saying, um, Night and Fog in Japan. I think that's the very last film. Um, and some, you know, different films that represent different different eras in different countries, but it uh, seems to be very interesting picks of classics. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to catch all of them, but definitely Network, because um, not only will that be showing, I've never seen the film, it will also have a seminar conducted yeah, that's, by... Uh, that's, I've seen it multiple times. I've got, I've got it on... Uh... Uh, I've got the U.S. version. I've got the Hong Kong version to show my students, and yeah. uh, definitely, you know, it's definitely still a very re- relevant film. Um, and uh, yeah, it's got a classic line like this: "You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, <laughs> and you will atone." Yeah, classic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that, and. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot, lot going to be going on. Of course, we've still got the uh, Hong Kong 100 must-see films uh, going yes, on yes. throughout the year. This weekend, this yep. weekend, watching a uh, uh, Drunken Master finally. Yeah, and I, is is Marshall Club this weekend or next week? Marshall Club is in two weeks. Because this weekend is Drunken Master, so in two weeks it'll be Marshall Club. Yes. Yeah, I might go out and see that, even though I've got it right over here on the shelf. Um, I might like to see that in the theater. Um, all right. Good. That's news. Uh, guys in the chat room are talking a little bit about Pango Chung. Hong Kong Dave said, uh, Men Suddenly in Black is my favorite uh, Pango Chung film, or maybe Exodus. Uh, I liked Exodus. I liked Men Suddenly in Black a whole lot more. I think that might be my... I don't know. It's it's kind of hard. Uh, you Shoot, I Shoot is pretty much my go-to film. But I gotta say, I don't know if you'd count it as a film Summer uh, Summer Exercise. Have you seen that one, Kevin? Yes, the yes, short that's film wickedly, that sort of got yeah, him wicked. some notoriety. Um, yes. That's yeah. and that's I, I would love to see that as sort of a, a, a full length feature. Although I don't know if it would work because it really is such just such a very short story. It's um, a very punchliney movie. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but actually, Beyond Our Ken, Beyond Our Ken's also a very overlooked film. Uh, yeah, that was it all kind right. of foreshadows the future. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on. Shall we talk about some movies? Yes. All right, so we've got a couple East Screen movies to talk about this week, and uh, Kevin's going to cover both of them because I didn't have a chance to get out and see one of them. The other one I had really no uh, decent interest in in getting out to watch in a a cinema. Um, (laughs) So I'll leave that ball firmly in Kevin's court. Uh, but the soul of bread, I need to complain a little bit uh. before you, you you get on to the review. I really wanted to see this film, and they were having like one show per day, you know. And it, it, at such odd times, I was planning. Oh, I wanted to go yesterday um, during lunch, couldn't do it. And when I was talking to you today to see if you had seen it, so we could cover it, um, I was debating because there was like one show at three o'clock at uh, Cornhill. Which is um Ooh, my neighborhood? Yeah, it's it's over there, you know. But but it's it's like a pretty far ways from uh, my office, and I wasn't sure I was going to be able to 
like go there on my lunch hour and and watch a movie and and, and sneak back but you know it's just like come on guys you're gonna show a movie and you're just gonna have one time per day um it's really you have to blame the theaters i mean the theaters are are so they're still of course they're still showing love in the buff you got your hollywood holiday stuff and last weekend yeah. was just so packed that apparently a little Taiwanese film with you know starring the actress from the most successful or highest grossing Chinese language film still couldn't get more than one show a day yeah. well I wanted to sure see it theaters. just was not able to do it time wise because it wasn't no idea what theater owners were thinking regular screenings yeah. um, so but tell us please tell us about the soul of bread Okay, The Soul of Bread, as I was saying, is um, the latest film starring uh, Michelle Chen, who was uh, last seen in You're the Apple of My Eye. Um, this is her big, I guess, follow-up film, but uh, actually it doesn't feel big. It's a very small, simple love story. Um, it's directed by Sean Cao and Lin Chun Yang, uh, whose work I, I don't think they, they've directed anything before. Um, this is also one of the big film projects uh, from Kaohsiung City, I think one of the bigger cities in Taiwan, I think just below Taipei. I guess it's their effort to kind of promote the town. And, um, and it's a very charming film uh, that you know promotes local culture. Um, the film stars Michelle Chan and um, local variety show celebrity Chen Han Tian um, as a couple. Uh, Chen Han Tian is... Um, young man who's running a local bakery that's owned by Xiaoping's dad. Uh, I think he's since retired and he's now taken over the bakery. Uh, Xiaoping and Gaoping um, have been together for 10 years now and they seem to be destined for marriage and it seems, but then uh, Gaoping is a very boring man who, who was kind of keen on just staying in town and never, never, you know, just settling down and marry, want to marry his girlfriend and just live his life out in the town. While Xiaoping, um, uh, kind of has her eyes set on, you know, going overseas and going abroad and seeing the world. Um, that all changes one day when um, a man named Brad, uh, or Bread, according to the subtitles, uh, comes into town. Brad, Brad, <laughs> is, a, is, a, is a celebrity who... who well, wait, actually... what's his Chinese name? Is his Chinese name Min Bao? I mean, is it is it really Bread or... No, is this, is this the, 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 the Romaji, it's Bulaita. Oh, okay. So, okay. so it sounds like actually the is, is, I'll, I'll go into more later. I think I think someone screwed the actor over. But anyway, <laughs> uh, seriously, yes. So Brad is actually a, a celebrity who who does a show about um, uh, bread <laughs> from around the world. He's one of those cooking cooking show hosts, you know that mm. that's uh, quite famous, and he, he and he's also a master baker himself. But after his mother died, he disappeared. So he, he resurfaces in a small town in Kaohsiung because he wants to, um, because it's his mother's hometown and he wants to rediscover the taste of a favorite bread to find himself. Um, so it, the, the, um, so he, he kind of invades the Gaobing's bakery and, and decides to take up an apprenticeship so he could find out which one was his mother's favorite bread. Uh, in the process, he falls in love with Xiaoping. So now Xiaoping has to choose between Gaoping, who is, um, you know, her, her, her safe, um, settled down boyfriend, or go along with this handsome, perfect man, who would take, uh, Brad, who would take her abroad. So very simple story. Um, as I was saying, uh, Brad is played by Anthony Neely, who is um, an American-born pop star who, who went to Taiwan uh, to be and, and joined a talent show and actually, I think, won or did very well, well enough that he became a pop star. Um, and he plays essentially the best man ever. Uh, and seduces the goddess from the apple, you're the apple in my eye. Um, so Neely, because he, he does speak Mandarin, but apparently his native language is English. So he speaks completely in English here and makes, makes sense considering his character. 
and uh, he does surprisingly good, um, surprisingly well uh, for his for his uh, film debut. Uh, partly because he's acting in his native language. Um, but as the story story I was talking about, it's a very mild, very pleasant story. So there's only a very mild dramatic conflict. Essentially, it's, it's about Xiaoping's choice, who she'll choose in the end. Um, and it's actually kind of a difficult choice because everyone is so likable, including both Gao Bing and Brad himself, uh, until that uh, Brad has to become the douchebag to show apparently who's the better man. So that was not really... Um, you know, it's kind of an obvious choice who she would choose, but the way the, the writers went about uh, trying to make her choice obvious is kind of sad because, you know, everyone's so likable. Um, of course, everyone wants to know how Michelle Chan is because she is the goddess now after after Your Dead Bo Mai. And uh, I have to say she's okay. Um, she's kind of plumped up a little bit after after the film. Uh, I guess that gives her a more girl next door, you know, more realistic charm to her character, I guess. She does okay. And Chen Han Tian, who is better known for his variety show work than uh, than his acting, he does the romantic romantic lead here. And I think he does okay, even though, you know, he's not, at least he's kind of toned down his usual overacting. Um, if you saw Jump Ashin, you can kind of see, you've seen his overacting. Um but I was not saying this, this is a film that promotes uh, Kaohsiung, um, and the film feels like Cape Number 7. Just like Cape Number 7 pushed the southern coastal city of Kunting, um, this film, it's all about local charm and a lot of comedy that's based on the, the, the Taiwanese language and a lot of small town antics. So it has a lot of that, that vibe. And a lot of the comedy work, I thought it was quite pleasant. It's a quite undemanding film, and um, I would even call it a pleasant surprise because I wasn't expecting something is it, this nice. Is it Comparable at all to Don't Go Breaking My Heart? No, no, no. Because Don't Go Breaking My Heart, you have the regional. In a way, it, it in a way the main conflict is kind of like that. But the choice, how do I say? The choice isn't that difficult to make because I was saying the towards the end, the writer kind of kind of changed the way they 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 played the character dynamics, mm. and and in a way, it's still more about local charm than than. Than say you know this big dramatic conflict because it's quite obvious in the end who she who she ends up with, um, so in a way it, it is more about you know selling selling the the local culture and and the charm of small town and and things like that. Um, there, there's quite a there's a, there's a kind of a, a recurring thing going on where the the uh, the owner of the bakery he does this radio broadcast every morning in town and he even plays songs that his band plays so you know he has these really silly songs about bread including a, a heartbreaking ball- rock ballad called pineapple bun sadness which is actually quite quite a good song actually you think about uh, the the melody is quite good and the, the lyrics is quite hilarious so uh, in a way it works much better as a comedy than a romance I have to say. So it's quite, it's a little different from, uh, from Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Um, and if you like bread, of course, there's a lot of shots of, you know, baking bread and, and uh, bread in oven, bun in the oven, so to speak, <laughs> and, and things like that. So if you like bread, you'll be quite hungry. Hmm. Um, so I would say, my rating is surprisingly, I would say see it if you like romantic comedies. It's a quite be sure to film. bring in like a pineapple bun. To watch the yes, movie. bring in a pineapple bun, uh, and I was actually what I was I was saying about the the screwing over Anthony Neely part because um, the, the the film subtitles and the intertitles and of course the 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 text that introduces the show say that his character is named Bread B R E A D, but I think the director told Anthony Neely that his his character is called Brad, so for the entire film he's either referred to as Brad or he calls himself Brad, except the subtitles say Bread. 
So I think someone screwed him over. Mm-hmm. It's quite a kind of funny thing to to catch, whether he'll ever say Brad or bread. But that's my only gripe with the film. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so this film obviously can't play in the United States, right? Because it's saying that bread has a soul, and that'll <laughs> piss off a lot of Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> pro life? No, but they are pro life. So, but are they pro bread? That's the real question. That's <laughs> gonna that's be gonna be the kicker. Part? Because they're going to say Obama is not pro-bread, so he should not be a president. <laughs> who would not be pro-bread? I think the Russians are pro-bread. I'm not yeah. sure. I, I, you know, who would not be pro-bread? Maybe it's the French, right? The French are pro-cake, right? Let them <laughs> eat cake, but not bread. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, so uh, Soul of Bread. Looking forward to seeing it. Not sure when I'm going to get a chance to. Uh, for now, let's move on and talk about our second film for East Screen. <laughs> All right, so now we're on to the Scud film. There was a question in the chat room. Why is he called Scud? Why? I don't know. I mean, why, why <laughs> would anyone call himself after a military ordinance? That, that is a, oh, that's, a, that's a throwback to the 90s. Aren't you too young for that? <laughs> <laughs> that that's the first Iraq war. <laughs> what else would you know Scud asses except as a missile? Yeah. And and you know, Hong Kong's most most flamboyant gay filmmaker after Young Fan. <laughs> what else <laughs> What else did yeah. you know? So <laughs> the film is called Love Actually Sucks. So tell us, does love actually sucks sucks? Suck. Yes, it yeah. does. Very simply <laughs> says. Yes, it does. Paul, have you seen a film by the notorious I Scud? have I have not seen a film by Scud because not that I'm against gay films i mean i've seen plenty of gay films one of my favorite um films is uh, saving face uh you know it's a uh film about a lesbian couple a chinese yeah but chinese... that's about lesbians so it's not it's not really well yeah and i i but i mean i love um what's the what's the um the ang lee one uh wedding banquet you know i mean they're if they're done well not simply for the sake of of uh being raunchy uh i'm i'm all for seeing them but everything i've heard and maybe it's not fair you know maybe i do need to give give one a chance but everybody who's seen a scud film who's who i've talked to afterwards has nothing positive to say about them um (laughs) so that has kind of you know steered me clear of of scud films to date so i don't i'll leave it to you you tell me whether i should go out and watch this film okay well i should give a short uh history of scud first in that case uh scud is um he used to be a it um actually an it guy i guess he made his money off uh doing software or doing it work and apparently he made so much money that he quit the work and and just became a self-financed filmmaker uh so his first one was um city about baseball which uh apparently depicts the entire hong kong baseball team which is true they, they play themselves as as uh possibly uh all gay <laughs> that's very simply said um and that kind of began the the notorious scud history so then he made um I think three films. Yeah, he he made three films called the the, the extreme trilogy. So 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 quote quote unquote. Um, the first one is permanent residence, which is essentially a gay love story that um has a lot of nakedness and uh and and apparently it's about himself, Scud himself. And, uh, and just I never to clarify, that. his films are usually category three, right? They're all category yeah. three because of so much nudity involved. Because apparently he he loves showing men taking showers. So I mean. Uh, here, here's a question I have: Does do his films make a profit? I mean, where does he, where is is he like? Uh, what is our favorite director, Dennis Toe, right? Independently, Dennis Law. Uh, Dennis Law sorry, 
Uh, is he independently wealthy, wealthy and able to finance his own films? I mean, who's paying yes, for this yes. stuff? Yes, he pay for he pays for himself. Mm. So this is the iron triangle of of self financed uh, filmmakers in Hong Kong. You got Yong Fan, I think it's Yong Fan, uh, you know who's who's been in the industry for decades. Uh, so it's okay. Um, you have uh, Dennis Law, who 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 runs a real estate company, uh, and you have Scud, who was an IT IT man who made so much cash that started making the movies he wants. That's which is kind of the problem because he is making only the movie he wants. Mm. Um, so per residents now saying kind of his own story, which is the problem, is so self-indulgent that um, it became, you know, self-indulgent. <laughs> and then and then you have Amphetamine, which is another gay love story, which again, um, is kind of artsy and and didn't and was actually very controversial because a, uh, a gay rape scene was cut because due to censorship problems. And now we move on two years, three years later with uh, Love Actually Sucks, uh, which is, I guess, his third film in his quote-unquote extreme trilogy. Um, this time, um, he took himself off the equation and he tells multiple um, stories. Um, and I'm not going to go into detail in any of them because you don't get the characters' names anyway. So it's hard to 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 tell the stories about you know who these people are. You have one, and they're all. I just say that they're all kind of extreme relationships, and they all really take the censorship quite far. First of all, you have an incestuous incestuous relationship between a, a man and his sister, um, and then you have a, a story about a dancing instructor, uh, his rich woman client, and and uh, his girlfriend. You also have a, a mountain climber and his cheating mainlander girlfriend. Um, and then you have uh, a married aerobics instructor who who thinks he's gay. So those are the the, the several stories um, that that they're told throughout the film. Um, if if it's any, if it tells you anything, the film was delayed for two years. It was it premiered I think uh, two years ago at Philadelphia Film Festival, and it couldn't secure a Hong Kong run, including um, a slot at the Hong Kong Film Festival. So it kind of tells you. Uh, it's easy to see why, because uh, the film starts off at a wedding um, and it, it plays off on that really popular social media urban legend about the the the, the bride who plays um, a wedding uh, the wedding video of uh, essentially her 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 soon-to-be husband having having you know a sex tape of, of her soon-to-be husband calls off the wedding on the spot which is actually also the opening of Petricon's love is the only answer except Scott here um, kind of takes that gives that a little bit of twist. Because now the soon-to-be husband is now sleeping with um, his best man. <laughs> and the video is produced by Scud's production company. That kind of sets off the, sets establish a tone of how extreme Scud is going to go. Um, the storytelling is a mess. I mean, you have the, the introduction of the characters, visual introduction of the characters in the beginning. But then the storytelling is such a mess is that they, he never established who these people are. And that, you know, many of them actually end up not having names. There's no proper introduction. You don't even know who these people are. There's a lot of soulless sex scenes. Um, uh, as, as I look at the cast list over at uh, AsianWiki.com, you know, you've got uh, people with the name like sister, brother, policeman, <laughs> bridegroom, painter, policewoman. Yes, because no one gets who these people are. <laughs> Uh, I thought you were going to talk about the actors. I mean, you have uh, Osman, who was Osman Hong, who was in uh, EO2 and who also co-starred in Permanent Residence, I think. So he's back here. But yeah, I mean, these, you don't even know who these people are. There's, wait, is, is this right? Is this Tang Wei is in this film? Not that Tang Wei. Oh. There is a Tang Wei in the film, but it's not that Tang Wei. I know. <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute, now I have to see this. What the heck? Actually, no, no I think this Tang Wei did more nudity than the other Tang Wei, mm. actually, ever. 
Um, yeah, like I was saying, there's a many a lot of solar sex scenes. You know, you have some from Asia. You have man on man, man on woman, woman on woman. I wish there was more woman on woman actually, but um, many of them is covered in blurred and mosaic. And actually, there's two sex scenes that are completely blurred out, or or cuts to white because of uh, local censorship. Because essentially, they are the insects, incest sex scenes. Mm. So um, the the censors had a really had a field day of this movie. They they tried to cut it out and, and got kind of compromised by just blurring the entire thing out. Um, and you also have hardcore fellatio in at least two scenes. So um, you literally see a man and his mouth on a mosaic. So it's like watching Japanese TV essentially. Okay, so, so that's how people so in got, Hong Kong will be used to that. Yes, exactly. So it's actually, but it's man on man. So it's a little different, uh-huh. but yeah, Scud, Scud is so so. You know how Scud, uh, how far Scud was going to do. The problem is that these sex scenes they don't really feel necessary to the plot. I mean, do we really have to see three minute of three minute sex scene of a brother and sister having sex to understand that they're in an incestuous relationship? Mm. I don't think so, right? Um, I think Scud is just doing it to be extreme for the sake of being extreme. Is quite it, again, it's quite self indulgent. Um, and of course, it's a Scud movie, so you have lots of showering. I think every other scene you have someone taking a shower. And apparently, Scud, I don't know how Scud manages to do it, but he always finds gyms with showers that have no doors. I don't know why. At the end of the film, I had to tell, you know, Kozo and them, I was like, you know, just so you know, my gym has doors. So, you know, men can just come up and start staring at me. Hmm. Yeah. Normal gyms don't do that. But yeah, Scud has an obsession with showers. So, again, there's a lot of showers. So, there is a, as I look at the list here, one actress, Winnie Lung, Man Yi Lung, who seems to be quite prominent in non-scud films yes she was in black ransom uh sex and chopsticks uh, 2 vampire who admires me she's known as the the actress who does category three movie but refuses to do nudity Mm. yes except she finally did nudity in amphetamine and she's only in the opening scene here as the sd as the um as the 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 the, uh the bride in the in the wedding in the opening and Um, uh she was in robbie hood so there's a there's a, a career saver right there right but yeah, it, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, the first hour of the film is already kind of incompetent as a as an ensemble film, and of course, you know, it's supposed to talk about how crappy love is and and how you know these extreme relationships. But it completely flop, it completely falls off the cliff, uh, the cliff, at the hour mark. It goes bat sh- bat crap crazy, <laughs> and takes a takes a really ridiculous twist and and re- and resolves itself in such you know bewildering confusing ways that 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 it's quite unintentionally campy it really is one of the campiest movies i've seen from hong kong in mm. in, in year um it's it's really aces in camp and it's best watched of a humorous audience because i had my audience was in stitches in the last 20 minutes uh we were all having a great time so you know it's otherwise it's one of the worst films in a year but i think you need i have to argue that you need a director like scud you know, a director who is so self-indulgent and, and you know, let's, let's, you know, let's first say, I mean, queer cinema is, is something that's very rare in Hong Kong. And if done well, you know, it could be quite good. But Scott is, is such a such an indul- self-indulgent director that only a man who finances his own movie can make something this campy and this over the top and this, this crazy. And I think Hong Kong does need directors like this to balance out the, the mainland co-production crap that 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 churned that safe, safe mainland production uh, crap that just turned out every year. So you know, even though it's one of the worst films of the year, I'm actually quite glad I saw it mm. <laughs> because I had such a good time. So um, I would say um, those who who are willing to 
to brave it and take it on, I would say at least TV it. I think it's worth watching, and if you're into that extreme extreme stuff, uh, otherwise, if you have no patience for incompetent filmmaking, I would say skip it. Hmm. All right. So, Paul, I think I think uh, you might you might want to take this on. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't use that phrase in talking about a Scud film. <laughs> Just take it like a man, Paul. Just no take it like a man. No. <laughs> Oh, Lao Ching Wan says this. So good, bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no scud for me, at least until he makes a Category 2B film. Uh, it's worse because there's no, more, there's no more extreme stuff to watch and it just becomes an incompetent movie instead of an incompetent <laughs> movie lots of nudity. So, you know, I, w- I would prefer a scud Category 3 film than a scud Category 2B film. All right, so, so, so here's your choice. Scud or Dennis S. Y. Law? Oh man, <laughs> both. What the hell, both? <laughs> why not? Both, both, both as co-directors, right? That's. I'll take both. Yeah, why the hell not? Um, I'll take them both on. <laughs> Vamp- Vampire Warriors in the Buff is their next movie. Um, all right, let's move on and talk about some West Screen films. East Green, West Green. All right. Um, only going to talk about one West screen film this week, although I did go out and watch, finally, uh, Wrath of the Titans, and uh, Bill Murray says this. Oh my gosh. Does that suck? And that's all I'm going to say about Wrath of the Titans. <laughs> uh, I'm going to talk about Mirror Mirror. Um, so Mirror Mirror is... Uh, it was sold here in Hong Kong as an alternative Snow White. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if it got the same kind of treatment in the way it was marketed in the West, but you know, I was kind of excited to see this because I thought it was going to be told from the perspective of the Queen. Um, so this is sort of an alternative Snow White story, um, but it's basically got all the same plot elements there. You've got Snow White as the princess, you've got an evil stepmother uh, as her queen, played by Julia Roberts. Um, and, of course, Julia, uh, at some point, the father, uh, Snow White's father, is out of the picture. And the queen ends up ruling the kingdom. Now, Julia Roberts as Queen uh, Clementiana is her name. So it's not, uh, it is not uh, the, the, the standard queen that we know from the Disney films. Um, she kind of, you know, basically plays herself, <laughs> I want to say. Um, except she tries to pull off a British accent, and it's got to be the worst British accent uh, in the history of fake British accents since uh, Kevin Costner and Robin Hood. It's just really bad, and I don't know why she tried to do it. She wasn't very good at it, um, and it didn't really seem to fit because she was just kind of, again, doing her standard Julia Robert shtick. Um, which could have been okay had they gone in a slightly different direction. Uh, the, so, yeah, I mean, the main story is Snow White. If you know Snow White, the, the, the queen becomes jealous because she's aging and Snow White is, the, you know, the beauty of the kingdom. The queen has basically bankrupted the kingdom uh, through heavy taxes in, you know, basically being vain and using the money to give herself luxury and treatments. And she now finds the need to marry uh, a nearby prince or a nearby kingdom to try and bring more money in. Um, and so uh, one such prince happens to be wandering through the woods. He's ambushed by bandits, 
Uh, and But then he shows up at the kingdom and the queen says, yes, this is the guy I'm going to woo. And unfortunately, he's already met Snow White. And so those two sort of have a rocky, they hit, they have a rocky relationship at first. And then, but, you know, you get the sense that they're going to end up together um, because he is the Prince Charming, even though that's, that's not his name. Um, his name in the film is uh, Prince Andrew Alcott. Um, anyway, that sets the the basic premise of the story. Uh, it tries to be a bit of a comedy. Um, it also tries to be a, a bit serious in places. Um, and, and it just really doesn't know what it wants to do for the most part. Um, the dwarves here are fun. Again, it's not the standard seven Disney-esque dwarves. Uh, they've got names like the Baron, uh, Half Pint, Grim, Napoleon, uh, Chuckles, uh, Wolf, the Butcher, um, and there is a little bit of a connection that I enjoyed out of this, and that is the actor, young actor playing Butcher, is uh, Martin Kleba, uh, who's a you know a little person actor, and he's been he's got quite a repertoire of films that he's done. But I recognized him immediately because I'm a big fan of a of a um, I guess you'd call it a reality TV show from the Learning Channel called Little People Big World, and he's not in the main focus, but he's friends of the family. Um, that is, is the center focus of that series. And he showed up on a couple episodes and I recognized him immediately when I saw him in this film. I was like, oh, um, you know, that's, that's the guy. And it was kind of neat to see him there. There's also for Game of Thrones fans, uh, we are in week two of Game of Thrones season two. So I'm excited for that. Um, for Game of Thrones fans, there is a little bit of a cameo connection in the film, but I won't give that away because that would be a bit of a spoiler. Um, but yeah, the film never really be, seems to be sure what it wants to do. It's got some, it's got some nice parts. Uh, it's, there's a little bit of magic involved. I kind of like what they do with the mirror. Um, it's kind of interesting how they, they, you know, use the mirror and the director, uh, for the film, uh, whose name is, uh, Tarsum, uh, Tarsum Singh, who's known for some of his sort of more visual-esque approaches to films. You know, he's, he did the film last year, The Immortals, which I didn't see. It kind of looked like a, a variation of 300 a little bit, um, but you know it did kind of look pretty and, and visually pleasing from the trailers I saw. Um, he also did The Fall, which I didn't see, and he did The Cell, which I did see, which was uh, you know interesting visually um, back in uh, 2000, I think that was. And so he takes, he has some very nice visual moments for this film, and uh, he has you know he has some fun, but a lot of it seems a little bit old hat. I mean, a lot of the humor here is stuff we've seen before. It's got Nathan Lane basically doing his Nathan Lane stick. He's sort of the queen's assistant and the toady. Um, you know, there, he actually has a line where he says, you know, there's a, there's a wedding at one point. He says, Oh, I always cry at weddings. And it's just, you know, it's, it's not funny. You know, it's, it's just one of those things been there, done that so many times that I almost, had to do a double take. I was like, did they really put that line in there? Um, and unfortunately, then at the very end, and this is maybe a little bit of a spoiler, but you see this in the trailer, okay? So if you watch the trailer, you see this. There's a Bollywood song and dance number that just comes from out of left field. And, you know, it's it, right down to the fact that the the, the young actress um, who's... Uh, uh, her name escapes me. Uh, Lily Collins, who's playing Snow White, uh, she's lip syncing, you know, so it really has the look and feel of a, of a kind of a badly done uh, 
Bollywood episode because you know you can tell she's not really singing in the moment. It's it's almost like you know music video esque, um, but it's this huge big song and dance number, and it just seems to see so far removed from what the film had been up to that point. Um, it would have been great if if they had sort of gone full Bollywood mode and made this a full-on Bollywood-style Snow White musical. That would have been awesome. But it's because they take these short steps in different directions. It's a little bit of a comedy. It's a little bit of a high fantasy. It's a little bit of a Bollywood, but it's never really enough of any of those things to be truly satisfying. And I think, the, for me, the biggest problem was Julia Roberts, because she was pretty much straight up just being crabby Julia Roberts and I didn't really find her funny in the things she was trying to do again they were kind of selling this as the story from her perspective but it's it's not really and I would have really liked to see that I'd like to see a story that is a retelling where the queen is really the good guy and maybe Snow White is a a bratty kid you know and so the whole you know, the whole story is from the queen's perspective and the queen trying to be a good stepmother or something and, and trying to rein in this wild, you know, uh, teenage problem child or something. That would be... Hey, we should have pitched that in Hollywood. Well, it would be far more interesting than, unfortunately, what we have here, which is basically the, the straight-up story just with a few different elements thrown in. And those elements aren't really enough to make it a super solid film. Um, but again, it does have some fun moments, has some nice special effects in places. Um, I'd say if you haven't had enough Snow White with things like, you know, the, the, the TV show Once Upon a Time or the one with uh, the remake that's, it's not here yet, but I think it's already out in the States, uh, Snow White and the Huntsman with the, the girl from Twilight. You know, if you haven't had enough of Snow, this one's not terrible. It's just not great either. Um, so I'd say, you know, you can TV it. Uh, but uh, a little bit disappointed in the end, I'd say. Yeah. What do you think, Kevin? You gonna see it? You gonna watch it? No, I mean, especially after this. I actually <laughs> almost, I almost tried to cat, ca- catch it over the weekend because you know for the show. But it was between the Lorax and Mirror Mirror, and then I saw, and then I went to watch the Hunger Games instead. So that tells you how desperate I was. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, no. So, yeah. Uh, in comparison, I found the Hunger Hunger Games far more entertaining, and you know, uh, for for me, you know. Uh, Obviously, this some people might look at this and go, well, Paul, this really is a, a girl flick, right? I mean, because it's Snow White and it's a young girl playing Snow White and everything. But no, I mean, a, a good meter for me when we're, when I'm going to see films that maybe don't fall within where I don't fit the target demographic is my wife. And she didn't like it either. You know, mm. she, she was equally dismayed with it, equally bored with it in places. Um, and she, she, we, she came out of it with pretty much the same opinion that I had. So... Um, yeah, just kind of disappointing in, in, in the long run, but, um, you know, not terrible. Actually, could, could, what, what could be fun for teenagers, me. you know? Yeah. What appealed to me was actually not, not, you know, Judy Roberts or Snow White, but it was, uh, Tarsim, Tarsim Singh and Tarsim Singh and, and yeah. also, also I think the, the costume designer. Yeah, it does. I mean, like the one thing in the beginning when it's sort of setting up the story, it does so through this very unique style of CGI. It's, you know, kind of like a almost uh, Pixar-esque animation, but very stylized in ways. Mm. That's really, really nice. And if they would have gone forward like that for the whole film, that might have made it stylistically much more interesting, you know, to sort of stick with. Um, yeah. But, yeah, ultimately, again, it's a, it's a strong TV. And I, again, I think it would probably work much better for 
younger, you know, sort of the teen crowd who maybe haven't experienced a lot of these gags, these same gags in different places, unfortunately. The dwarves are fun, though. The, the guys they got for the dwarves are, are really great. There's, a, there's an Asian dwarf. Um, so, so they kind of covered a, a lot of the uh, ethnicity basis. Uh, the Asian dwarf, what's his name? Uh, Robert Lee Clark. I think he's Asian. Uh, they don't have an entry for him on Wikipedia. But uh, he was Chuckles, and he was funny. And, and you know, most of the, the characters they had playing the dwarfs were unique in, in their personalities. And um, when they were on screen, those were some of the best moments. But when it was Julia Roberts or when it was Nathan Lane, it's kind of been there, done that, unfortunately. All right. And yes, Wrath of the Titans. So good. Bad. Yeah, don't. Seduced by the dark side he was. Yes, uh, seduced and 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 reproduced and uh, pooped out. Uh, yeah, uh, you don't want to bother with that one. All right, uh, shall I play this? You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Comments. We had a couple comments last time. Uh, Tilan Lau wrote in. He said, It's not quite the 10th anniversary of, Le- of Leslie Chung's death yet. He died on April 1st, 2003. So it, we are it, just passing the 9th anniversary if it came across as if we were talking about this year being the 10th anniversary. Did we say uh, that? I, I don't think we said that specifically, but it maybe in the conversation we kind of, it, it may have come across that we alluded to it being coming soon no, was it next year yeah next year. I, I mean i know it, anita they were he he went in the same year as anita moy and hers yeah. is in december of next year so um so yeah uh j- just a little clarification that his 10th anniversary is forthcoming and now would be the time that if people were going to be doing talk talking about you know in pre-production for something or you know going through the phases of trying to put some work together um which i think was sort of the the keystone of our conversation last time. Now would be yes. the time when that ball would start to get rolling, and I, I still think it's uh, a little bit too soon. Me too. Um, and uh, Hong Kong Dave, he wrote in and said, great review of Love and the Buff. Well, thank you, sir. Um, he says, although no one's hotter than Miriam Young. I don't know, Dave. <laughs> uh, if you put Minnie Yang and Miriam Young in the same room, I think I'm talking to Minnie Yang. I don't know. Could be I gotta practice my Mandarin, so you know I gotta I gotta talk to Minnie Yang. E- so even I... if it's just to ask her, <laughs> mysterious island, what were you thinking? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I've actually been to a Miriam concert. Um, oh, I thought you were gonna say you've been to Mysterious Island. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to go there. Uh, I, I'm afraid that I went. When I go there, I'll find a man swinging through the trees and uh, uh, a house made out of uh, milk powder cartons and Lucas inside. Um. <laughs> No, but uh, yeah, the only Hong Kong concert I've been to uh, in in Hong Kong, the only official sort of pop star concert was Miriam Young. Um, I've been wanting to get out and see Andy Lau, and it's just never happened yet. But I, I I've got to get get that done. That's on the to do list. Uh, and Jackie Chung too. He's, he's another one. Jackie Chung's great. Uh, you know, because I put I when I after got, I got here in uh, two thousand, you know, I put. Because uh, Anita had a couple concerts 
right after I got here. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, I saw her twice in the U.S. I'll go, I'll go see her a couple years later. And then not able to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, uh, life happens and these opportunities are, are now gone. Um, so yeah, thanks for the comments. I think that's going to do it, folks. Of course, if you would like to be part of the show, you can uh, hop over to our site, concast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. And you can jump into the comment section or, you know, uh, throw in some questions or some comments or get involved over there. Of course, you can pop onto iTunes and leave us a review if you'd like to. Uh, we would love to have a five-star review, but if you want to leave a four, three, two, or one-star review, we would welcome that as well. As long as you give us some feedback and tell us what you would like to see or hear or have us do differently. Uh, Twitter.com slash Concast if you would like to follow along with uh, the show on Twitter. Of course, you can follow me at Twitter.com slash Foxlore. Or much more recommendable would be to follow Mr. Ma over at Twitter.com slash TheGoldenRock. And especially this week, in indeed, because uh, as we mentioned at the start of the show, we've got the uh, Hong Kong Film Awards, which are happening, what time does it start? 8 p.m. on Sunday? Sunday night, 8 p.m. And actually, um, I won't be on Twitter during the time of the awards because I'll be busy live blogging yeah. over at uh, www.lovehkfilm.com. Yes. So you can find a link to the but, blog. But you will tweet that uh, that link out probably prior to the start of the live vlog right yes yes yeah. and i also yeah yeah and and of course additionally i will also be interacting with people on the uh the love Shea film facebook page so um i'll be on those two places but yeah i mean follow my tweets all week as i try to make sense of the film industry that mm. is uh the chinese and hong kong film industries and uh yeah um maybe post some preview for the for the festival for the awards all right so you can look forward to that of course if you'd like to contact us directly here at the show uh, you can do so at Gmail. Uh, that that address is uh, eastscreen at gmail.com. Uh, we welcome comments, questions, suggestions, or, of course, if you'd like to send in an audio file, a short review, a short comment, a short question, we can play that here on the show as well. You can catch us on Stitcher if you are iTunes-averse. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phone. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support of our little show. Uh, Kevin, aside from the coming uh, Film Awards, anything else going on in the week? Uh, Any upcoming uh, articles or blogs or things people need to be aware of? Um, no, for my, for me, uh, there's, there might be a Love in the Buff review coming up on Love HK Film, depending on when, uh, Kozo wants to update the site. Um, other than that, it's all about the Hong Kong Film Awards, and of course, follow me on Twitter as I, uh, as I, you know, like to spontaneously talk about the film industry uh, on Twitter. So, um, yeah, follow me on those those mediums. All right, that's excellent. Uh, before we close out, let me give a big thanks to some people: Rob Gobbers of Snouter's Studios for our theme, Ross Chen of LoveHKFilm.com for all the things that he does, especially keeping us out and about and watching local films. Uh, the K-Man for being with me for 106 episodes, plus a few commentaries, and hopefully we'll have another commentary coming up here shortly. Uh, you, the listeners, of course, for being here, whether you're here uh, with the guys like Hong Kong Dave or Kenneth or uh, Matthew Seidel in the chat room, among others. Uh, also, want I, I need to throw a shout-out to uh, Marco Spomberg, who's likes to join us here when he can, but he's off busy making a new science fiction movie, which I'm very excited about. 
Uh, we'll probably have him on the show in weeks to come to tell us a little bit more about that project as well. Um, but of course, you, the listeners out there, whether you're on the comments site, uh, whether you're talking with us on Twitter, however you engage the show, we appreciate your feedback and your support. Next episode, 107. Uh, do we have any local films coming up to talk about? I didn't see no, anything we do on have, the radio. Uh, no, we do have Sunny and, yeah, I think that's it. But Western film, we have uh, Battleship. So, Paul. Paul, yeah. Paul, Paul. Uh, B6. <laughs> you sank my battleship, you bastard. No, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's cool the film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is the actual line in the film. You suck my battleship. Yeah, well, it's got Liam Neeson in it, so what can we expect? He's going to get angry, he's going to get pissed off, and he's going to kill something. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, looks like it looks like a Transformers wannabe. You know, it's by the yeah. same 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 production crew or same effects crew or something. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. We got a lot of big stuff coming though. Avengers coming pretty soon. Yeah. Um, and uh, some other stuff down the pipe. Uh, Snow White and, and the Huntsman. But what's next on the radar for actual local films? Do we are we gonna have anything in uh, in April? We have Lives in Flames, the rocker movie that's produced by from the producers of uh, Lang Kui Fong. That's mm-hmm. opening uh, on the nineteenth, but there's actually been preview showings uh, around town already, uh, sneak previews. So uh, I unfortunately I missed it because they were all at midnight or nine p.m. So uh, we might just wait until the film opens to catch mm-hmm. it. All right, that sounds excellent. Um, so we'll be talking about something next time, all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen West Screen. Wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. See you next week, everybody.